0: Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, Sharon Swing.
1: Greetings, everyone. So glad you decided to join us for another episode. Around the table today, I have with us Joan Kelly, who's our Director of Facilitator Development for One Life Maps.
2: Hello, everybody. Yes,
1: yeah, she's also a spiritual director and um, partner, along with another friend, in My Life is Sacred Solitude Retreats. So you'll want to check that out. And then... Our special guest today. Not that you're not special, John. I, I won't take that personally. <laughs> Joan's just normally here, sorry. <laughs> Lori Proctor. So welcome. Hi, it's so great to be here. We're so glad you decided to come to the podcasting headquarters. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yes, <laughs>
3: it really is. I love this we'll place. Have, we'll,
2: we'll, have, we'll have to post a picture of
1: where. Oh, we do I don't this
3: know about that.
2: It's my basement, everybody. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a good basement,
1: though. Just being real. Yep. Yeah. So the foosball table and the and the pool table are behind us. will we'll not play until. Uh, and, Later. We had, and, we, and we had to shoo a son out to, yes. from, from playing video games yes. uh, with Joan's son. So yeah. anyway, Lori, thanks for joining us today. Um, we've invited Lori to talk to us about trauma and how to be with people that have recently experienced trauma. And um, But Lori, tell us how you like to be introduced these days. I have what, not what, been asked
3: that question. So, our, What
1: should our listeners know about you?
3: So I am... A mother and a wife and an entrepreneur. I have my own little business with my dear friend. And mostly I'm a woman on a journey. I'm on a spiritual journey uh, to find freedom and wholeness in this life. And I love uh, walking with others on their journeys Hmm. to find freedom and wholeness. So the business you have with our friend, Jean Masukovich, just say a few words about what So That is. So That is... A little dream that we came up with about four or five years ago now Uh, we were at a conference for sexually sex trafficked uh, women and boys and children and we were so moved and touched but we saw so much need we saw these caregivers on the front lines of this really serious problem that our world has and they were coming to this conference to get fed and to learn and to grow but they needed care they needed support. And that's where so that really was, was born out of was this desire to come alongside people that needed some care, that needed some support. So we, we wanted to be on the front lines, but we had small children. We had you know families and, and things at home that we couldn't necessarily go off to these great places around the world, but we knew that we can do something here where we were. So we decided to start this little ministry or organization called So That, which was to really care for the caregivers.
1: Okay. So So That is spelled S O W T H A
2: T.
3: Yes. And so why? So we were trying to come up with a name for the organization and we just kept saying, well, let's go back to why we do what we do. And we would keep saying, well, we do this so that people can find freedom, so that people can feel loved So that people can remember the truth of who they are. And so, and then we would always say, like, sowing the seeds of awareness, right? When you have some self-awareness, it begins to help you to transform out of your patterns, out of your tendencies that have been conditioned. And so uh, we just thought it was a cute name and the URL was available. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) So you're out sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. Of hope. That's right. And then, so SOW, it's really an acronym for us for self, others, and world. Because we feel that when you take care of yourself, when you tend to yourself and your story and your narratives, um, and you find freedom and hope within yourself and with uh, the help of others, then uh, you can go into the world and begin to transform it through that hope. Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that part. Um, it's going to get even better
1: in a second here. So you got interested in trauma work, but tell us the origins of when you recognized that that's a direction you wanted to to move in.
3: So it really happened, uh, I forget the year, but I think it was around 2011. And I was invited by a couple friends to join a One Life Map group to go through all the maps together in a small group setting and I just am a woman that says yes like something uh, an opportunity comes along I'm like yes I don't even know what it is half the time that I'm saying yes to <laughs> but I am a yes woman so I said yes and I found myself with seven of us seven women did uh, you know everybody when I you knew started three or three of them okay slightly not that well, but I had done some ministry with two of them and then another one I knew just a little bit the other Who ones were those I didn't know. So Just I knew curious. Julie Puccio, mm. and I knew Karen Trun, and then I knew Jen Mote. Okay. But the other ones I did not. Oh, such good company. Oh, my
2: goodness,
1: yes. Right? Yes. Yes, and then not to mention the others that you came to know. Exactly. In that group. And
3: Jean, my business partner, was one of them. Jean Misikovich. Yes, yep. so
1: it's a, such a providential meeting
3: of amazing women it really was it was life-changing because let me take a step back because prior to that I was in a group with some other dear women um but we weren't doing story Mm -hmm. we were just naming our current realities and there was no crosstalk there was no leaning in there was really no story uh there was no maps that we were following and I was just constantly frustrated Mm -hmm. and I didn't know why until I got in this MAPS group. Mm -hmm. And there was true engagement with each other's stories. It was profound. These are still my dearest friends in the world. Like it, it was, it changed everything.
1: If I I remember correctly,
3: I've seen you post on Facebook, like going places,
1: interesting places
3: with these. Yes. And a couple of us in the last couple of years have recently turned a large number on the birthday scale. And so we've celebrated birthdays together. We've for my 50th birthday, we all traveled to Colorado. Was, these are my people. Mm-hmm. And it came out of that group. So what happened in that group that bonded your friendship? We were telling the truth.
2: Hmm.
3: We were telling the truth about our stories and about our experiences. And we were met with love and engagement. Hmm. We, we leaned in with each other. And there was something so freeing about that. Brene Brown talks about um, wholehearted living. I found wholehearted living in that group.
1: I'm all choked <laughs> I mean, really,
2: it's in the way that you were listened to and the way you listened to these other people. But then also I'm hearing, you know, it was the story of telling your story that, that
3: made the difference. Yes. And, and in that telling the story... Because we have shame in our stories, and this mm-hmm. is where the trauma piece comes in. When we have trauma, there's shame. And I had some shame in my story, and I also thought, oh, it's not much of a story. But having these women look at me and engage me and speak words of truth and love and blessing over me within that space, it, it did something in my soul that 15 years of counseling and 20-plus years of church never did. So it really came to be my church community mm. in a profound way.
1: You know, to to know people and also be known and known deeply with all the story out there. I mean, a lot of people n- never get that. A lot of people never get that. Mm-hmm. I know. It's just that that is sad to me. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're definitely touching into the reason I do what I do, too. The reason we do what we do with Listen to My Life and um, to know that, I mean, Joan and Sybil and I were not a part of your group. You just used the materials. The materials got put in the hands of some people who knew what to do with them mm. and understood that there might be some potential there and trusted the process and the listening guidelines and called a few people and said, hey, you want to do this? Can you imagine the people who said no? Mm what they missed out on, you know? And so I just, I'm, I'm just so grateful. Who, who
3: extended the original invitation? So Jen Moat was the one who was leading the group yeah. and she was good friends with Julie and Karin, who I was somewhat friends with. I just knew them through some church. We were in the same table group. If any of you remember that yeah. from those days where yep. we lived in the same proximity. So we knew each other from that. And so we, they invited me to a lunch and they said, here's what we're doing. Do you want to be a part of it? And like I said, I wasn't even quite sure what it was, but I'm like, yes, yes, I do, because yes. I think my heart was longing for connection yeah. and belonging. And, and to think of if, if if Jen
1: wouldn't have made the call to say, okay, we're going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if we can gather those people. I mean, it takes somebody to say that yes, to create a space that could make a difference for a lifetime. Absolutely, and that I mean. You all, I, 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 I know this, this group, at least in part, and there's been some incredibly hard things in the stories of, of, of these women's lives that have happened since the original group. Yeah. And, um, and to have that community of people gather together to know what to do. And that's what I want to talk about today is like when. When really hard stuff hits, when trauma enters, and I mean, there you know, a lot of people think trauma. I remember the first time someone named what happened to me as trauma. It was like, really? I mean, I always thought trauma had a much bigger case T to it. Right. You know, everybody else, I I I must be overblowing this because, you know, it's not as. it it can't be as traumatic as what other people have gone through right we tend to compare our traumas and what and and and, you know now that i understand it's like there's no use in comparing trauma trauma is trauma um and it has effects in us and ripple effects that affect the choices we make how we protect ourselves um what happens in relationships Um, all of those things are tied to it, but if we learn how to take care of the smaller T traumas, um, maybe we have a chance at figuring out what to do with the big T T traumas, not only from our past, but, you know, the here and now is where we've got a chance to really make a difference, uh, so that those long-term effects don't get going. So what are some of the long-term effects of trauma?
3: Oh, goodness. They're, they're endless, really. But mostly I have seen with the people I work with that trauma affects our bodies. It mm-hmm. becomes embodied. So PTSD, by its very nature, is an embodied experience. So, but you don't necessarily know you have it until something in your outside stimulus triggers it, and then your body feels it. So I truly believe that our current uh, collective anxiety is, is unprocessed trauma. Because when anxiety doesn't have a name and has not been named and tended to and held well as trauma, it just is free floating. And it floats around as like nervousness or worry or disease in our body Mm -hmm. where our body is keeping the score. I have so many Mm -hmm. friends with autoimmune diseases and I'm convinced some of that is from unprocessed trauma. Because when we keep swallowing it, it goes somewhere. And trauma can get buried as well. And so
1: sometimes, sometimes it is, it is something that happens that that you have to go. Well, wait a minute. There has to be something. Why is that thing that just now happened affecting me in such an overly powerful way? Right. And um, we've definitely, you know, had people kind of wake up to the fact that oh my goodness. I have experienced trauma. Now, trauma can come in all different ways, shapes, and forms, um, and it doesn't have to be just sexual trauma. It can be the loss of a loved one. It could be a car crash. It could be all kinds of different things that, that could happen. But it's stored in the body. So, to not maybe in another time we'll we'll talk about um, you know what to do when you when you might discover that there's trauma. But today I'd love to turn our conversation toward how do we be people that know how to be with people in trauma? Hmm. So you said, you said earlier that when you hit the, the Valley Experience map, which is number four in the uh, map number four in Listen to My
3: Life, um, that's when something happened. Can you describe So what happened yeah. there? So when my group uh, hit the Valley Maps, we went away for the weekend. And we went up to um, a little lake house in Wisconsin, and we were going to have fun and do a valley map. So go figure <laughs> out our planning on that probably wasn't the best. It probably would have been better to do, you know, a, a different map, maybe a like a moving forward type thing. Mm-hmm. Peak experience, Peak experience or, or even happy. my story, something <laughs> a little more. But we we were on the valley maps when this retreat we did came around. And so it was my turn to share one of my valleys, and I knew I wanted to share it with this group of women that I came to trust deeply. And when I began to share, I had a visceral response, and I vomited. Mm. Wow. And I knew there was something really deep there. Like, even talking about it, I feel my body responding again. Mm -hmm. There was just trauma that I had not addressed, but I was now beginning to name my experience and my body uh, responded. Mm. And it was met with so much kindness and care. And yet I knew there was still more that was there. And that's when, um, well, A, I went back to counseling. But then I also found the Allender Center, which deals with trauma. And I started a certificate program there. And it was, it was taking that Valley experience and going even deeper into it with particularity and with uh, a small group as well. So when you say with particularity, what do you mean? So our trauma happens in particularity. It happens in the dirt. And when I say in the dirt, I mean we're on the ground. But when we tell our stories of trauma, we tend to tell them at 30,000 feet where we're flying over it and we're just saying, yeah, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And that's okay, but healing happens when you, you go back down into the dirt and you land in it with, with people that can engage it well. And when I say engage it well, I mean people that will lean in and be able to name your shame, name your ambivalence, name the binds that you were put in because of the trauma. So the trauma is not just the experience. It then It's what happens to your mind, it's what happens to your body, and it what happens to your heart and your soul. So when you say people who are listening to you being able to
1: help you name the shame and, and, and the, what does that sound like? What are the words sounding like? What's the phrases and the sentences?
3: That is a hard question to answer because it, it looks different for each story. Just for example, what? Well, let me take a step back. So in the valley map, you, you name your valley and you tell the story of your valley. In the trauma work, you write the narrative as if it's happening all over again. So most people are like, well, isn't that re-traumatizing? Yes, in a way it is, but it's also where the shame resides and shame needs to be engaged. Like people just want to ignore the shame, but the way to heal from shame and ambivalence is to engage it. Because shame grows in hiding. That's right. So this was work then, Lori, that you did with a counselor, and you did with your work with the Allender Center. Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I took one of my Valley experiences that I did in the map, the Valley map, and I took it to the Allender Center. Gotcha. Right. And so
1: this—it's this kind of thing can happen when people hit the Valley experience map, but not always. Uh, because people can choose a lot of different valley experiences when they get to that map, and sometimes they need a couple practice ones mm-hmm. <laughs> to to get enough courage to be able to to go to the to the pieces of their story that are the most traumatizing to them, that have the most that are that are in the most hiding, right? Even even obscured from our own
3: memories sometimes, right? Because what happens in trauma, typically, typically let me take a step back. Trauma. Like, someone could be in a car accident and not be traumatized by it, and that's because their nervous system can metabolize what happened. Trauma actually happens when your body and your heart and your mind cannot metabolize the stimulus, where the stimulus, so if it's the accident or the loss of a loved one, or even just, you know, someone betraying you, if, you're, if your body and your heart and your soul can metabolize that and stay integrated, it does not become trauma. Say more about metabolize.
1: When you're talking about metabolizing trauma specifically, because we think about metabolism in terms of how, how quickly or how we process food, for example. Right. So
3: take that term and help us with it. So I don't want to get too technical, but we have a window of tolerance, right, that our body uh, can hold. And so when you have a traumatic experience, let's just go back to a car accident. So my family was in a car accident about three summers ago. And it was, it was just a fender bender, but it, we were all okay, but my dog was traumatized because she was in the back and she kind of flew over into the front and then she didn't want to get in the car after that. So it's a very simple explanation of it. So her body, and she's a dog, so she doesn't even have like this higher logic thinking, but she equated the car with being thrown over the seat. And it scared her. So her body did not, was not able to make sense of what happened. Whereas my kids and I and my husband, we talked about it. We, we addressed it right then and there. So many times when trauma happens, it does not get addressed. We don't talk about it. We don't go into it right then and there. So it kind of goes underground. So how did you engage that with your kids? The car accident? Right. Well, first we just made sure everyone was safe. You know, my daughter had a little bit of a burn on her neck from the, the seatbelt. Um, my husband was the one driving, so he was pretty shaken up. But, well, first we just had to deal with the car. It was totaled. And then afterwards, when we found ourselves in the hotel room that night, we sat down and we talked about it. We processed it. We talked about our feelings and our emotions, how scary it was, what everyone was feeling, what they were thinking. So there was a leaning in. So what questions did you ask? I am just trying to get the particulars of I know. I feel uh, like so I maybe. wish there was like like a a roadmap to how <laughs> to do it. But it's like if you think of um, like the best example I could, could give is like a leaning in, like engage even deeper. So when my daughter started crying, how scared she was, instead of me saying, Oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't be scared. I leaned in and I said, tell me more about how scared you were. How did it feel in your body? What did your body do? So it's a leaning in. It's actually asking for more when everything in my mama persona wanted to just make it better for her. I just wanted to hug her and and shush her like, shh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, which is what a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. Like that's an instinct to just want to make it okay. And not that that's bad. That's actually good. We all need care and comfort, but we also need engagement. We need someone to lean in and say, tell me more. What happened in your body? What were you thinking? Mm -hmm. And that helps us to metabolize it. It helps us to process it so that it doesn't get trapped as trauma.
2: Mm.
3: Does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah, that helps a lot, but it's,
2: you've had to learn that over time. Yes. Yes. And that's a, a beautiful thing, and that but I love that it happened out of um, you looking at a particular valley and then journeying deeper into that, and now you're able to sit with people and and lean in and teach others how to to lean in.
3: Yes. And the leaning in, the the word particular is very important because the trauma happens in particular scenes, mm-hmm. right. It's not free-floating. It's a particular event that had texture and context and um, different players, different people, different words, sounds. Are, it's a Trauma is all a full-bodied, full sensory experience. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and the leaning into me feels like you're, as I'm with somebody who's been through something, I'm not walking around, I'm not walking away, I'm walking towards. And while I think the questions and words are important it's also the way that I am actually with them.
3: Yes. And the word I would use for that is presence. Okay. Tell me more about that. That's so important there. Yes. That, that is probably through my training that is the single most important thing is how to be present with someone else because what happens to us, right? So going back to the, the car accident with my, my kids and my husband, I also had an experience. So my <laughs> body was feeling something and I was actually mad at my husband because he was the one it was actually his fault and so I had my own experience but presence is to be able to set aside your thoughts your beliefs your stories your feelings and to to almost quiet your mind in such a way that you're just almost like an empty not empty like it's I I talk about it as like a rock with ears Have you guys ever heard that saying? No. No. Tell us more. (laughs) Well, a rock doesn't have thoughts and opinions and advice. Okay. Right? A rock is just a rock, but now put some ears on it. That, to me, is presence. So a rock that has ears and can lean in and Mm -hmm. ask questions but Mm -hmm. not have opinions or fixes or, well, have you tried this or what about that? We we tend to project our stories onto the people that we're with. Oh, yes. I mean,
1: maybe I was... Like could, could I call it traumatized by a small group at one point in time that that was the pattern was fixing and rescuing and advising mm. and like somebody bring a bring up a problem and and people were all over it in mm-hmm. that kind of way and it would just it made my skin crawl and I thought why would anybody want mm-hmm. to do small group
0: mm.
1: yes you know this is not this is not what I'm looking for and it, it just it seemed to give particular people an opportunity to feel superior. Yeah. Because they had the answers, right? Yeah. And and also kind of like, oh, gosh, okay. We're, you know, cleaned, cleaned up that well, cleaned well, it. Yeah, yeah that and mess. A lot
2: of it is they're just uncomfortable and they don't exactly. know what to do. And no one has had a conversation like this with them and said, here's how... You be with other people. Right. Say say
1: more about that. It's a, Because I think that's so true and so important about well, we, people feeling uncomfortable.
2: Yes, people feeling uncomfortable so they don't know what to do. So a lot of times they just do something. Like they make a meal or they try to make it all look better or... I mean, I loved how you said you, with your daughter, you asked, you leaned in and you asked her some other questions versus just trying to, and we do that with our kids too, right? We pat them on the back. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. You didn't make the team. You know, we don't let them sit in the pain of, you know, not making the team or failing the test or, you know, and we don't live in a culture, I guess is what I'm saying, that encourages this or where there are people that know how to lean in or to be present. Um, I think... Listen to my life. We've those listening guidelines begin to let us create that culture in a small group, so we don't have experiences like Sharon is talking about. Right, and hopefully
1: we can actually take that kind of stuff home to our
2: families mm-hmm.
1: um, in the midst of it. And especially, you know, when I think back on on parenting my son, and um, yeah, you get that mama instinct, right, about wanting to fix it and wanting to defend and um you know experience i remember matt being traumatized by a bully for a while and then also witnessing another kid being bullied and not doing anything that traumatized him even more you know like wait a minute I I was the one wondering why no one was coming to my defense, and I was just the one that didn't come to this Mm. this guy's defense. Mm. And and it was there was a piece of me that wanted to call the bully's mom, and you know, (laughs) all this kind of stuff. Instead of just listening to the story, you know, this is back when Matt was in middle school and early high school, and and I just think about how incapable. I mean, my parents didn't know what to do with this stuff. Uh-uh. I mean, we came by our our inadequacy to be with people this way, honestly. <laughs> there's no blame, there's no shame and and but we can help people wake up absolutely, and we can help ourselves wake up because really, this is going against the flow of what we want to. To do and be and how we want to be in the world, I mean, and and Joan, I mean, you have a, some trauma in in your background from um, from what happened when Will um, mm-hmm. got sick, uh, Joan's son. And why don't you tell a little bit of that story and what so, what you felt? Yeah, we people have, did
2: that mm-hmm. that was helpful. So you know, real briefly, we have four kids and our oldest son, um, when he was um, sixteen, was diagnosed with leukemia and was ill and did treatment for about a year and then ended up passing away because of some of the side effects of you know actually some of the drugs he was on that were trying to save his life um we I I mean I feel like in that year in particular we experienced the full gamut of being present and leaning in like Lori's talking about to people just disappearing off the map and they don't know what to do and so they go another direction and people that leaned in with um very practical things and some of which were very needed but i just i think i learned through that i mean obviously i learned humility because um, i was used to being the person on the other side um but i think i learned um just how much of a gift that presence is that you talked about Lori um you know of, of just being with someone um i can think of um actually the day that will um ended up passing away and we came home there were various people with us and we needed to tell the other three kids were not with us that day they were here and with the, with a neighbor and we had to um you know tell them the news as well as tell these dear friends what had happened And I remember, you know, various people and they were you know, God placed them there because they were able to be with and be present in really powerful ways. And really their presence was in that case, there weren't words. There was just sitting and sitting in the tears and in the sobbing and wailing at that point in time. And, uh, but God had surrounded us along the pathway with people who were able to do that. And that's, you know, who ended up showing up that day, um, so it does. It, it catches in my, me and my tracks all the time. I mean, I was sitting with someone earlier this week. I mean, and I'm a spiritual director, and this person had a really big trauma, and I caught myself, Lori. I mean, I wish I had my rock and ears, you know, metaphor in my head, like wanting to, you know, pat him on the back and tell him to be okay, and wanting to, you know, do all these things that we say aren't really helpful. I wanted to fix and advise and say, well, from my experience, you know, I'm still learning too. And I think that's a part of this. I, I just, I don't know
1: many people that aren't trained that mm-hmm. know intuitively what to do. Right. And so we're all seemingly newbies at this mm-hmm. every time we enter into mm-hmm. it. And especially like, but when, you know, you're a mom trying to figure out how to comfort your kids, right. how to be with your husband in the midst of it. Lori, you were traumatized by the accident, too. You had your own emotions. It's like sometimes it's the trauma is in you and all around you. Mm-hmm. And um, just, I mean, but there's a piece of that. that there's, there's an aspect of it. I saw a picture. I mean, we're recording this on a few days after the shootings in Dayton and, and, and El Paso. And... And I, I just saw some people huddled, just crying mm-hmm. in, in, an, in an image. And I thought to myself, these people are so traumatized. But th- because they have no, no capacity to fix it, they're together in it. And they're they're, they're holding on to each other with mm-hmm. such intensity. And I thought, oh, God is in their midst. And I know that it's so hard to to imagine what that's like, what these people had just witnessed and been a part of, and maybe even injured. But they had each other—a place to show up. I just did a podcast interview yesterday with Eric Nevins, who um, whose children go to uh, the STEM school in um, outside of Denver, and where the, where there was a shooting. Uh, in the school at the end of the last school year, and this week was the first week of school and sending your kids back into the school where this happened. And he said the parents seem to be far worse off than the kids in the midst of it, you know, and just I, I think the parents feeling responsible for the safety of their children and the care of their children, but maybe they've been so focused on that they don't realize they've been
3: traumatized too, you know? Oh, absolutely. In
1: the midst of it.
3: There's secondary and third and fourth and fifth level of trauma. Like we, I mean, even seeing your face right now, Sharon, like we have all been traumatized by these shootings. It, we just are. It's, it's, I don't even know the word for it, but to even witness it, to see it on the media... We are in a traumatized culture and traumatized times, and, and we don't get it. And, and Joan, just even saying what you said, I still want to do that. I still want to mm-hmm. fix it. And there's so much beauty in wanting to fix it, yeah. and yet it's really not the way to heal it, mm-hmm. right? There are mm-hmm. people that need to know how to fix it. That's right. I mean, And, and
1: move in immediately, the first responders yep. and, and, and all, the, the people that need physical care immediately. Go in and fix it, but then they get traumatized. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it. Yeah, it. The the ripple effects through the years. And um, I was listening to um, to another podcast recently, and um, this coach was talking about this woman that was an executive, and uh, she was a Russian immigrant, and um, she was responsible for. Um, I'm wiping tears <laughs> as I'm talking. Um, a team a high-performing team and every success that this team had this woman very very highly respected because her team really performed but her team was just exhausted because she wouldn't be satisfied for two seconds about any accomplishment Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it would just keep driving harder and harder harder and he was asking the coach was asking her about that and she said well you know um how many million, she named how many millions of people died in, 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 under the, the Russian war. And then how many more millions of people died under Stalin. You can't ever stop. You can't ever stop protecting. You can't ever stop being vigilant. You know, and I mean, it's like, okay, this happened two generations prior the things that she mentioned, but it's in the DNA. You know, it's like, it's in the storyline that gets passed on. You can't relax. You have to be vigilant. You have to stay on it. You know, all the stories of how we've been affected that we don't even know how to name, that we've told our kids how to live based on our fears. Yeah. I mean, these are worth cleaning up Mm. because they have effects in our kids and they have effects in, in how they parent their kids. So this generational trauma, we may have no idea. And, and, and sometimes I hear stories, uh, of people that are traveling through, listen to my life and they've mapped their story. And Trauma's been passed down to them, but they don't know that it's trauma that's passed down. It was just a wrong that's been done to them by someone in a previous generation. And the anger and, and all. And it, one of the things about the My Life Story Map is that what, what's not there, what's outside the margins, is what happened before you were even born um, that's important. And, I mean, when I think of some of the things that uh, about um, one of my grandparents, uh, one of my grandfathers, um, you know, he passed on some trauma and to my mom that got passed down to my mom and her sister. And then, you know, there, there's still ripple effects in the family that you can trace. And you can get angry at my grandfather... For some of the things that happened there, but yet, you hear a little bit of his story, and you realize that he grew up with a father who was the headmaster of an orphanage, and decided that he couldn't treat his own children any differently than the orphans. Mm -hmm. So his children got basically made into orphans. Mm. They they bunked with the orphans. They, you know, it's like somehow or another. He couldn't show preference toward them, he thought. Right. And I mean, oh, my goodness. What a, you know, who knows what all the ripple effects were in his life. But that inability to engage emotionally was definitely there. Not only that, some good German roots Mm
2: -hmm. in the midst of it (laughs) that I think come by honestly, whatever. But I always think there's like this map we should do attached to our My Life Story map that's... You know essentially some of this generational yeah and, and stories that have been passed on and, and
1: some of the some of the people that engage in listen to my life they don't have the benefit of being able to go back and ask Mm-mm. their parents or um, or their grandparents or whatever anymore but um, I remember as we were as we were just getting listen to my life started my mom was taking a spiritual gifts class at church and the prep for, I don't on a weekend um, and the prep work was to, to write your life story. They gave, they gave no other help or context as to how to go about doing that. <laughs> just so, And so my mom had a spiral notebook out, you know, a steno pen and she's, and she's, you know, tried to, uh, so she's got dates and she's just listing events and things, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. And I said, and, and the good news is I was there for a couple of days just to hang out with her. And I said, Hold on, do you have any poster boards? And we went down to the basement and found some poster boards and, and I mapped out the I mapped out what what is the my life story map on there and I got at some post we found some post it notes and, and, and I got to sit there and listen to my mom tell me her story and actually have it unwind in front of me as she was doing the map. Wow. For two days. What a gift for oh. your mom what an incredible gift for, for you. Me. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't even know if it was a gift for her, but <laughs> right. it was a gift for me. And, uh, and so many things that came into focus there. Um, and realizing, you know, how broken parents are. And my mom was a great mom. She was an awesome mom. Um, just so present and so loving. And so, I mean, Joan, knows her I mean yeah, she's, she's an just amazing the best, woman, you know yeah and uh and yet she was holding some things that mm-hmm. that never no one ever asked about right and I think about if I knew now what i if I knew then what I know now, what else I would have asked her,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know how else I would have engaged more deeply in the midst of it but and we touched into some beautiful very hard stories but what in a resilient mom I have and my dad always tells war stories he was a fighter pilot and actually was on the runway with nuclear bombs on his on, on the wings of his f-104 sitting in Florida waiting to see if he was going to get sent in the whole Bay of Pigs incident hmm. you know to go, to go drop some bombs in Cuba the what never gets told is what the wives were doing. And what that community of women you know. Talk about a community of women that were in it together Mm because they would get moved from base to base with with the squadron and you know. Mm -hmm. And I mean and and they they didn't send F one oh fours into places that weren't ridiculously crazy right you know so you're you're sitting in a in a trailer with two little kids waiting to hear you know you're not supposed to know where your husband is but basically you're, you're listening to the news enough that you, you pretty much got it figured what, yeah. the, what what that is and the fill in the blanks of all the stuff that you don't get told and um yeah i mean the courage of The military spouses and the trauma and the worry and the and you think about the ways that they had to protect themselves in the midst of that and what got passed down to us as kids um, as wartime kids you know Mm -hmm. at the end Mm -hmm. of the Vietnam War at the in the transition to the nuclear war age and you know just crazy stuff so anyway I want to turn a corner here but. I think, you know, we, we want to end this conversation in a way that says, okay, what can we do? What's, what's where, is the, where is the next step forward and how do, we, um, how do we engage in things in a way where we can be agents of healing and hope and engage for ourselves in our own healing and also um, become
3: wounded healers. Right. So Dan Allender says this all the time. He says, we cannot take someone further than we are willing to go ourselves. So the first thing I would say, so when I started this journey, it was to heal myself. It wasn't to become someone who helps other people in their trauma. It was to heal my own trauma. So the first thing is to, to tend to yourself. And a lot of us like me, it was until that valley map that I would have told you, I don't have trauma because my style of relating, my condition tendency is to just keep going, kind of like the woman you were talking about on the podcast, like just keep driving forward. And that's what I would call the fight response, you know, from fight, flight, or freeze. Mine was fight. We're just going to keep going. But it's still a trauma response. And that's what our
1: culture encourages. Oh,
3: absolutely. Just keep going. Go faster. Do more. Yeah.
1: Accomplish more. This is, you know, and the kinds of people that we lift up in society that are overachievers in right. many instances.
3: Um, right. You know, it, it, it all feeds on itself. Yes. Yeah. So, I didn't even, I was dismissing my own trauma, which is so much of my trauma story. It's just being dismissed and some neglect there that it helped, it made me pick up that same type of pattern to just push on, press on, keep going, So when I finally leaned into my own trauma and got care and support is when everything changed for me, and it made me realize how I want to do this for others. So that would be my first thing is tend to your own wounds first. right? It's the old adage of put your oxygen mask Mm -hmm. on first. You cannot care for anyone else until you care for yourself. So if you are anxious or fearful or in fighting everything and have no patience. Like the Christian way is like, oh, pray for patience. No, tend to your trauma. And pray. <laughs> and pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Do you'll both. need it. <laughs> yes. Pray while you're tending to your trauma. So that would be the first thing is to to find a group because we need eyes on us. We need ears on us. Get in a group of people that will hold and engage yeah. and lean in. And as a
1: coach, one of the things that, that That I was trained in, and I think a lot of coaches are trained in, is you know, sometimes you're into uh, conversations that have to do with uh, work related things um, when you do different kinds of coaching with different kinds of people. But if they said they were going to make some phone calls last week to some key individuals, and and you say, Well, how'd you do on your goals last week? You know, and they'll say, Well, I I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And you'll say, did you, did you get close to doing that? And they'll say, well, yeah, I, I, I got the phone in my hand, you know, I got the phone in my hand and started dialing and then, and then stopped. Well, what was happening in your body at that point in time? And helping people to, to, to diagnose what was happening for them when they got close to doing something they said they wanted to do, but they didn't.
3: Because mm-hmm.
1: there's some kind of fear or resistance or story they're telling themselves that they're not aware of at that point in time. Right. You're just like, oh, this is more than I can take, right? And um, one of the phone calls that someone was supposed to make was to be able to, to say something that needed to be said. Um, and I don't need to fill in the blanks any more than that, but and so when I said, okay, so what was that like for you? What were you feeling? What were you experiencing? And well, when when's an early time when you remember feeling that? Mm. And she described this time when she and her brother were playing at Construction Zone, and ended up um, getting caught, and they ran and hid, and they ended up hiding in a in a in a basement. Um, what do you what do you call? Window well, a window well, yes, and they they stayed there for a couple hours, mm-hmm. and people and these these men were working all around them, and they had to be perfectly silent. She had a younger brother. It was like, you know, shh, shh, you know, just stay silent, stay silent, and she said there was a piece of me that just, it, my life will work out better if I if I'm silent,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So there's these little secret vows in the midst of it. Yep that come into play that's right and that again part of our narrative and so here she was facing a phone call where she needed to say something that was going to be difficult to say and didn't do it and so okay so there there's there's some processes that we can take people through to say okay well how has that vow that you made to yourself it's better off if i stay silent served you and to be able to be grateful for what gift it is applied to right. you and see then also the downsides of it and then to be able to see as an adult, okay, what is it that um, can I take agency and make choices about when that voice comes up, when that feeling comes up, what am I going to choose to do with it? Like, oh, thank you for what y- it's taught me, but I'm going to go ahead and and, and, and do this because it's the right next thing to do. Um, and so that's just a simple little piece and there's more to the process and all that, but there's, there's this aspect where everyday stuff that we try to accomplish or try to, to do. And we find ourselves with an inordinate sense of dread to just do something that's on our to-do list Mm -hmm. (laughs) like can get can give you clues Mm -hmm. to some trauma that happened way back when there's clues everywhere but to be with people that know something about what to do with that Mm. um and really ask more questions and like you said lori to lean into it and to be the the rock with ears (laughs) you know Tell me more about what that was like.
2: Well, and to go back where we started of taking that first step you did of, you know, this little community gathered around you, but you moved towards some story work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the encouragement to the people listening. Like, I mean, I might not be able to go to the Dan Allender Center and be, you know, a trauma counselor, but I can start working on my story and I can look for these places that have been hard and traumatic and valleys Mm -hmm. and I can surround myself with professionals and I can surround myself with a community of people that are going to listen and really see me and know me and learn how to lean in, whether they even know that's what they're doing.
1: Right? Or be the one that says, you know, I I, I don't know if I'm, you know, people don't have to be overly qualified to do a Listen to My Life group. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You read the introduction booklet. and, And not only that, we've got tons of resources. And I mean... You can send us on the contact form on the website. You can ask for some help, and we will actually, like, call you and say, what are you thinking about doing? How can we help you? I mean, we are crazy accessible, wouldn't you say, Joan? I think so. I mean, really, (laughs) you can do this, and it may not be all the healing someone needs. Not Everything that is needed is probably going to happen in a listen to my life group. But yet it can be a starting point to do that in addition to maybe finding some other means of help. And I realize that the other means of help, you know, you have to uh, flat out, there's some privilege associated with having the choice to have a counselor and having the choice to to get additional training and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but yet to find that community to find the people that you can sniff out that might be safe people, Mm. to pray about, you know, God bringing those people to mind and having the courage to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, there is hope, there is healing, and there are lifelong bonded relationships that are continually being built Mm. um, that that can change the trajectory of someone's life. I mean,
3: you're doing something different now because you decided to lean into this. Right? I well, am. I am. So we, I I am a coach. So I, didn't, I never went back to school to get my counseling uh, license. So I do counseling work, but I do it as a coach. So I'm like a trauma coach, a story coach. Um, and I love it. It is the most satisfying thing I've ever done is helping people to find freedom. Yeah. And... To know that with the Holy Spirit with
1: us, it might get a little scary sometimes, mm. but there's, but, but, but you've got somebody with you mm-hmm. that, Always. that is, that is very capable and you may not have everything this person needs, but you may have just enough to get them the courage and the clarity to be able to take the next step.
2: Mm. Any closing words, Joan? I just think I want people to pay attention right now. Like if you're feeling a nudge. Because I have a feeling there's some people out there who are ha- feeling a nudge about one of these things that we've talked about, whether it's actually sitting down and doing some work on your story or it's reaching out to a group of friends and saying, okay, I'm going to be the one to initiate this. I mm. think of Jen who initiated your group and like, let's Shout it. Shout out
1: to Jen Moat. No <laughs> kidding.
2: Um, we love you, Jen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so what is that nudge you're feeling right now? And maybe it's like, I need to go see a counselor. There's this piece of work when I did that valley map that's unfinished or I need to, you know, whatever it might be. Pay attention once again to what your body's telling mm-hmm. you right now um, and, and be courageous about following through with that. Mm.
1: Thanks so much. How can people get, get a hold of you, Lori? So
3: you can go to our website at www.sothat.com, which is S-O-W-T-H-A-T. This has
1: been Laurie Proctor,
3: and uh, she and her
1: partner, Jean Masukovich do some really cool workshops and all. They've got an Enneagram workshop coming mm-hmm. up. What's the date? October 5th. Right. And Jean does some some yoga healing. Yes. Um, she does a lot of body work with trauma and healing, right. which is beautiful yeah. work. And we will have Jean on soon uh, to the podcast and talk about the connection of our body and soul mm. um, in that particular way. And... Uh, Facilitator, people who might want to facilitate Listen to My Life. You don't have to be certified to, to do a Listen to My Life group, but some people want that, need that, feel um, more confident and equipped um, because they've taken that particular step um, and maybe have some doors open that might not otherwise uh, be open to them to run these kinds of groups. November 18th, 19th, and a half day on the 20th of 2019 is when we're running the next facilitator certification workshop. And uh, you can find out more about that at onelifemaps.com, O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com. There are also tons of resources on the website available for facilitators on the Become a Facilitator page. And like I said, use that contact form. We're here to help. Um, please take some action to bring hope, not only to yourself, but the people around you in the midst of this. Mm. There, Because there is hope to be found and there is such beauty in the healing Indeed. Oh, thank you, my friends. This has been Joan Kelly. Good to be with you all. And Lori Practor. Great being here. And Sharon Swing signing off. Many blessings, everyone.
0: Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O n e l i f e. Maps.com.